scriptures this morning to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Seeing the picture of the savannah here this morning reminds me that in the valley, often there's the shadow that we experience in scripture, but it's where the watering hole is. It's where all the action is. And so anytime we're in the valley and anytime we're on the mountaintop, we need to remember who the great shepherd is to lead us in and through it. This morning, uh, as I was sitting there worshiping with you, it was given to me a, a prayer request that we need to add to our list uh, of someone that's going to need that shepherd and his healing. Michelle Riley is going to be having total hip replacement on the 2nd of July. So if you would, please add Michelle Riley to, to your prayer list this morning. You know, a couple of years back, uh, it was Brad Paisley who wrote a song in which he wrote a letter to himself as a young man. And he said this, at the stop sign at Tomlinson and 8th, always stop completely. Don't just tap your brakes. And when you get a date with Bridget, make sure the tank is full. On second thought, forget it. That one turns out kind of cool. Each and every time you have a fight, just assume you're wrong and Dad is right. I like that. And you should really thank Miss Brinkman. She spends so much extra time. It's like she sees the diamond underneath and she's polishing you till you shine. You've got so much going on for you, right? But I know at 17, it's hard to see past Friday night. Tonight's a bonfire rally, but you're staying home instead because if you fail algebra, mom and dad will kill you dead. But trust me, you'll squeak by and you'll get a C, and you're still around to write this letter to me. You've got so much up ahead, you'll make new friends. You should see your kids and wife. And I'd end by saying, have no fear. These are nowhere near the best years of your life. It reminds me of another song that Mercy Me wrote, which is really the title of my message this morning from Hebrews 11, the song Dear Younger Me, where he writes more about the things that are below the surface and experience. It says, Dear Younger Me, where do I start if I could tell you everything that I've learned so far? Then you could be one step ahead of all the painful memories running through my head. I wonder how much different things would be, Dear Younger Me. Dear younger me, I cannot decide. Do I give some speech about how to get the most out of your life? Or do I go deep and try to change the choices you'll make? Because they're the choices that made me. And even though I love this crazy life, sometimes I wish it was a smoother ride. Dear younger me. If I knew then what I know now, condemnation would have had no power. My joy, my pain would never have been my worth. Dear younger me, it's not your fault. You were never meant to carry this burden beyond the cross. Dear younger me, you are holy, you are righteous, you are one of the redeemed, set apart with a brand new heart. You are free indeed. Every mountain, every valley, through each heartache you will see, every moment brings you closer to what you were meant to be. Dear younger me. I think we all wish that we could go back and, and write some letters Maybe light up some indicators on the dashboard of our life or even put up some warning signs that would help us as we grow through this life. After all, the signs in this world, they can be so misleading and so confusing. I want to show a few of them to you this morning that I really like. Look at these. Keep right on a left turn. One way, which way? I like this one. Lover's Lane, dead end. I put this up, it's really not a street sign, but I was working on my weed eater with my uh, 
father-in-law last night, to avoid injury, don't tell me how to do my job. It's a great sign to have around. <laughs> Next one, left lane must left lane. Figure that one out. How about this one? Good luck. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel anytime I approach a roundabout in Ohio. Is that my last one that I had? That's my last one. You know, the, the signs of this world are confusing, and it reminds me, it doesn't matter to this world. It certainly doesn't matter to Satan which direction you take in life, as long as it doesn't lead you to God. But it matters to him. It matters to the one who gave his life for you. It matters to the one who loves you intently and intensely. You know, today we honor graduates, but for all of us, this is a day to acknowledge that as we all mature, some of us quicker than others, we share the most important goal in life. The Apostle Paul put it this way as he wrote to his beloved friends at the church at Philippi in Philippians 3.8. He said, what's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. And the relationship with Jesus, friends, which for many of you began in this place, can have ripples that, that change your family, your workplace, and the world. Admiral William McRaven relates this. He says, the great paragon of analytical rigor, ask.com, says the average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. That's a lot of people to cross paths with. But he says, if every one of you could change the lives of just 10 people, and he said, if you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, you're wrong. But if 100 people here change the lives of 10 people in their lifetime, by the generations represented within this room, if all of us just affected 10 lives, we could reach 3,000 people for Jesus Christ. But you've got to know where you're going. You've got to know where you're heading. And for many of us, do we really know where we're heading in life? If I could go back and write that letter to dear younger me, I would go back to messages like Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10, that give some very clear signposts on the journey of where we're heading and how to make that journey in a way that honors and pleases God. And the first dear younger me would be this, don't get lost in life. Trust in God. Hebrews 11.8 says, it was by faith that Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. Believers, what's your trust level like this morning? Who do you trust enough to follow. And I realize sometimes it's hard for us because sometimes the person that we want to follow, we change in order to please them or to be who they want us to be so they can be a part of our lives. Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, the author of the highly acclaimed Americano, said this, please, don't twist yourself into shapes to please. If someone likes that version of you, that version of you is false and it holds you back then they actually just like the twisted shape and not you. And the world is such a gloriously multifaceted, diverse place that there are people in this world who will like you, the real you, just as you are. 
You see, if you twist yourself to be something more than God has created you to be, you're going to have trouble trusting people. And if you have trouble trusting people, there's a good chance you're going to have a hard time trusting your Creator. The story is told of a sea captain who was a Christian. He spent so much of his time in prayer. But one day there was a great storm blowing upon the sea and someone came to the wheelhouse where the captain was. And in this was a dangerous storm. It was a furious squall and the man shouted to the captain, Why are you not praying? And the captain said, I pray during the calm. And when the storm comes, I sail my ship. You see, trusting in God in tough times, it comes naturally when we have sustained that relationship in the good times. It's not that the captain didn't rely upon God in the storm. It's that he trusted him to remember him through the storm because of the relationship he'd had all along the way. Friends, trusting God, developing that heart-to-heart relationship with the authentic reality of God's existence in our life. It makes the difference in every day. So don't, don't put off following him until there's a storm. Isaiah 50 verse 10 says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. He's the one that leads us into his glorious light. He's the one who by his very presence in this world flipped the switch and a light has shone in the darkness and the darkness can never overcome the light. Cheryl Sandberg said this after the death of her husband back in 2016. When the storm hits and sometimes it can suck you under, you can kick against the bottom, find the surface, and breathe again. Some of you this morning, you just want to breathe again. She said the seeds of resilience are planted in how we process the storms. It's in finding gratitude and appreciation as the key of resilience. It's, friends, only in God that we find the strength to break the surface to reach to him as Peter did as he was sinking in the waves and find the hand of God reaching there to lift us out of the waves. It's the reality of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 where we are told to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. So dear younger me, Don't get lost in this world. Trust in God. Then the second thing I would write would be this. Don't spend time, don't waste time forming useless attachments, but keep a traveler's perspective. Back in our passage for this morning, in verse 9 of Hebrews 11, it says this. And even when Abraham reached the land that God had promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. How do you live like a foreigner in a strange country? Well, you live there with an awareness that this isn't your home. You pack light. You live, but you long for, and you remember where you came from. 
The old gospel writer had it well when he sang the song, This world is not my home, I'm only passing through. My treasure is laid up somewhere way beyond the blue. And the angels beckon me from beyond heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this old world anymore. If you go through this world with a traveler's perspective, you realize you don't seek ultimate satisfaction in the things that don't last, in the things that don't endure. And as you do that, you begin to live a little differently. You live differently enough that when people are near you or they hear you speak, they hear the language you use, they hear the subjects of your conversation, they witness your life, they're able to look at you and say, you're not from around here, are you? You're different. Ephesians 2.19 says this. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, not to God, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. But friends, if you're not a stranger with him and you're not a foreigner with him, you are to this world. Romans 12.2 says in the message paraphrase, so don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking about it. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. I love that. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So dear younger me, don't waste time on temporary things, but live with a traveler's perspective. Here's the last one, number three. Dear younger me, pursue lasting worth. Hebrews 11.10 goes on to say about Abraham that he did this by keeping his eye. Now the Living Bible translates that as confidently waiting on an unseen city with real eternal foundations, the city designed and built by God. Abraham was going to a place that would last forever. He lived with the principles and the signs and the guideposts to get him there where he really, really wanted to reach. And friends, if that's the destination you're living for, not only do you need the signpost, but you need the guardrails in this life that God puts there to make the trip securely and safely. So you need to pursue things of worth, things like relationships that are godly. First, you've got to have a great relationship with the Word of God. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 10 says this. It's a challenge and a command to choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than the choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. And you know what that kind of wisdom from God will guide you towards? The good relationships you need in this life. It'll guide you to a, to a godly marriage. I always love what Dennis Rainey said about marriage. And knowing that we've got a couple coming up here, I'm only 13 days away from Emma and Derek's wedding. Uh, one week later, Kim and Sebastian are going to be married. Uh, summer's a beautiful time of weddings. But Dennis Rainey said this. He said, most people get married with a myth. that marriage is this great, big, beautiful box that's full of all the things that they've longed for. It's full of companionship and intimacy and, and friendship and so on. The truth is, he said, marriage at the start 
It's an empty box. You must put something in before you can take something out. There's no love in marriage. Love is in people. And you've got to put love into marriage. There's no romance in marriage. You have to infuse it into your daily life and into your marriage. A couple must learn the art, must form the habit of giving, loving, serving, praising, and keeping the box full. And if you take out more than you put in, the box will be empty. And I can't tell you how many people I know that have lived marriages out with an empty box. The wisdom of God will guide you to, to good friendships. And you need good friends. I need good friends within this life. I was never meant to do this journey of faith alone. That's why we need each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Friends can make you sharper or they can break you. So dear younger me, don't forget what scripture says. In 1 Corinthians 15, bad company will corrupt good character. And friends, I have seen dozens of men that have neglected that truth to the decay of their bodies, to addiction, who've neglected that truth to the decay of their marriages, the implosion of their careers, the destruction of everything they love. And we need to have a good relationship with ourselves, with our integrity. It was a book that was written by a guy named James Emery White called You Can Experience the Authentic Life. And he He tells about the Leo Burnett Advertising Agency. They did this nationwide phone survey a number of years ago, categorizing what we lie about, why we lie, and to whom we lie. And the results were interesting because 91% of Americans admitted that they regularly lied. 91%. 79% had given out false phone numbers or invented new identities when meeting new people. One in five admitted they couldn't get through the day without going along with a previously manufactured lie. Now, what do you think the number one thing people lied about was? What do you think it was? Number two was age. Money wasn't on the list. Well, it wasn't in the top five. Their weight. Yeah, weight was the number one thing to lie about. And I don't understand that because I've been 170 pounds all... No, I'm just kidding. Um, Number three, one of the things that came into close contact with that one was the color of their hair, their original hair color. I'm not touching that one. You know, people no longer seem to care about telling the truth. We accept it. It, it's, It's normal course in our news. It doesn't seem to bother us as much. We don't get upset anymore. When people exaggerate, falsify, fabricate, or or even misrepresent the truth because we expect it. We live in a culture of erased tapes and of tampered evidence and illicit cover-ups and padded resumes and exaggerated ads to the point. I think we've just kind of given up on truth as a great viable enterprise. And this study found that in the past most people thought lying was wrong, but now over half of Americans say... It's not wrong. There are times it's okay. Friends, that's not God's path. If we look to his word, we speak the truth in love. We also need to develop relationships on trust and integrity. And so you have to have honesty there. And those are the relationships that honestly will be there when you need them the most. Watch your reputation. 
It's built on integrity. And I've heard somebody say before that hardship, it, it doesn't develop character. Hardship actually reveals it. It brings it out. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches, and to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. So hard work matters. Kindness matters. Dependability matters. Common courtesy matters. Focusing on putting others first matters. How you handle your resources matters. As believers in the Lord, we manage money. We don't allow money to manage us. As Christians, we pay our bills. We avoid debt. We're content with what God provides for us. And friends, resolve to stick what's right to what's right, no matter the opposition. I heard the story this past week of two men that lived in a small town, but they got in this terrible dispute, and they just couldn't resolve it. And so they went to this wise person that lived in town to, to share what happened. And the first person went and shared with him. And as he was sharing, this man's wife was right there behind him listening. And, and when this guy had listened to all that, that this fellow had to say, the wise man said, you know what, you are absolutely right. And the man was happy, he felt justified, and he left. The next day, the second man that was in the argument came and told his side of the story. Once again, the wise man listened. His wife was right there behind him. And when this guy finished, he looked at him and said, You know what? You're absolutely right. And when he left, feeling justified as well, oh, this, this wise man's wife led into him. She said, you told both of them the exact same thing. You told them both they're right. That can't be right. I can't believe you did that. Why in the world would you do that? You've got to do something different. And he looked at his wife and he said, you're absolutely right. We have to resolve in our lives, in this life, not to let others determine what's right. We need to look at what God and what he says is right. Every guardrail he puts up is not to restrict us. It's to keep us from going over the edge of the mountain. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like the waves of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable, in all that he does. Now I'm not saying Abraham was a man that didn't have doubts. He had delays in the promises that God had given him. He had difficulties of all sorts. But he never gave up his belief in God. He never rang the bell. He never checked out. Nobody in this world, friends, has an easy life. And maybe from our perspective, we might look at other people and think the grass is greener. But you know what? Everybody has trouble. Everybody has problems, and sometimes it's unique to their situation. But regardless of what we see going on around us, we've got to hold to what is right. What's the most important part of the journey? It's determining where you want to go. Friends, that's why we have such a beautiful faith. That's why we have such a beautiful Savior who said to us, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And when we get off track, he's the same one who says, return to me and I'll return to you. You know, I always love the story that Bruce Howell told as a missionary. He was speaking once in Africa and he said there was a Muslim in town that became a Christian and all of his friends 
they began to deride him and say, why, why did you do this? Why would you turn your back on the teachings of your family and on all of us? And he said, it's like this. Suppose you make a choice to go down a road and suddenly there's a fork in the road that goes in two directions. And you don't know which way to go. And there at the fork in the road were two men. One is dead, but one is alive. Which one would you ask for directions? Friends, there's a lot of dead ends. There's a lot of of dead testimony within this world. Who do you want at the crossroads of your life to show you the best way to go? I pray today it's the one who is alive. The one of whom the angel said to those who rushed to the tomb, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And because of that, we can say destination-wise, in the great words of Paul in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await our Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you eager this morning? Are you on the right road? Are you looking at the right signs? I'm going to ask the praise team if they would come back up at this time. I'm going to ask all of you if you would stand with me. And as we begin to close our time here together and we prepare to do our worship service outside of these doors. Friends, I don't want anyone to leave with a question in their mind and maybe you've been on the wrong road. Maybe if you could go back and write that letter to dear younger me, you know what you would write. And I pray that the wisdom you would write is not just from experience, but rather it's from the truth of God's word. Every time we wish we would have done things differently, every time we wish that, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done this because it caused so much pain, friends, I guarantee you there's a truth in God's word that would have kept us from that pain and that heartache. And maybe it's time to say, God, I've wrecked it. The only way of me to go forward is to have a new car. Friends, giving our lives to Jesus Christ is saying, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, having that moment where we surrender and the old is gone and the new has come. And I love that new believer smell. Maybe that needs to happen in your life today where you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe it's time to place your membership with us as a church and and have your banner fly clear and have a place where you have quality friendships to walk this life with. Where you have a place where service matters because people matter to God. Friends, if you've got a decision, I want you to come as we sing this last song of decision. But before you do, let's pray. Father, this is the day you've made. And as the song said, we, we will rejoice and be glad in it. And God, I thank you for your long-suffering mercy. For all the times we got off track and we tried to listen and argue with the own GPS of our soul as we looked about creation, as we acknowledged that there's something within us that wants to seek, that wants to do the right things. But Father, from the preacher, from the elders, from the deacons on down to everyone in this church, there's not one of us that's righteous, not one. There's a way that seems right to us, but in the end, it goes off the cliff. It leads to death. We need you. Father, you hold the manual of our soul. 
you hold the desire for which we were formed and created. Forgive us for the times we've lived for less. Help us to surrender fully and totally to you that we can graduate, Father, from where we are today to a closer walk with you to a more open fellowship with one another. Father, let there be nothing between us that we don't deal with in this moment by your spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name.